three, two, one. That's right. You're listening to the It's My Time podcast, a recording of the experiences, past and present of everyday people. Yes, indeed. And now, here's your host, the one, the only, Asher Chua. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jones. Thank you. Good to be here. As as I was saying, um, I've got to thank Mr. Uh, Jonathan Jones. I don't know if there's a relationship there, but he was kind enough to request some guests that I should um, have on my podcast. And I was like, hey, if it's coming from the podcast man himself, I'd be more than honored to. Jonathan is my podcast coach and mentor. He also would happen to be my second born son. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I that's what I was thinking. I was like, I see some similarities and it's yeah. it's like it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. John is a phenomenal guy doing some phenomenal things out there. He's a leader in that podcast space. He's carved out his own lane there, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's doing some tremendous stuff. So if any, you know, podcasting is his game. As as you guys would say, that's his jam. That's his yep. jam. That's what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I always like to ask every guest this question: Who do you say you are? Ha! Huh. Ah, uh, you try. You set me up. Oh, you. That's, that's that. Sounds like something about the Bible. Who do you say? Who do you say that you are? I yes, am sir. that I am. Right? <laughs> who do that's you? That's exactly say where you I are? got it. I, I like the question. Love the question. Okay, who do I say I am? I am the world's only worthologist. What's that? Ah, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) A worthologist is one who believes that your value is unlimited. Mm. Your worth is without measure, but your price is what you're willing to accept. A worthologist sees worth in every person and believes that that worth is unlimited. Mm. However, unfortunately, Mr. Chua, too many of us give discounts on who we really are. So my goal in life mission is to help people embrace the fullness of who they really are in God. I do that as a worthologist. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So how how did you start down this path? (laughs) You know, I I do a lot of things professionally, right? I'm Mm -hmm. a lawyer on paper. I'm a Mm -hmm. retired tenured college professor. I've published books. I've done a lot of things, right? With those kind of things, right? And so I was in this coaching event in Atlanta, Georgia, several mm-hmm. years ago, looking to brand myself, right? I wanted a right. brand. I wanted, how could I be that category of one competitor mm-hmm. of no one, right? right? So I was looking for that category of one. And so I had this coaching mentor and we were trying to come up with the um, the one word that mm-hmm. would capture all of my giftings. And that one word happened to be worthology. And uh, I, 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 there's a story behind it. I was mm-hmm. at this conference and there's Miss America mm-hmm. was uh, uh, being questioned by the host of the conference. And Miss oh, wow. America, she asked her one question. She mm-hmm. says, Miss America, what's the biggest challenge with being Miss America? And the young lady stood up to the mic. She said, feeling unworthy. Ooh. I sat back in my chair and I said, no. You're Miss America. You can't be unworthy. Mm-hmm. And it was a faith-based group. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right about this. And I left that event saying, wait a minute, 
I've got to address that. And it was on my heart. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wow. All those women there are women of worth. I'm like, wow. And if she's feeling unworthy, the opposite of unworthy is worthy. And I left there saying, wow, I'm going to do something about this. And it was like, wow, women of worth. And I began to move down that lane and saw myself as a worthologist. And I help everyday people, experts and entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. walk in their worth, value their voice and tell their story. Yeah. Sounds like you're the right guest to be on the podcast. <laughs> well, as we were talking in the green room before we came in, I mean, I'm, I was like, got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Every, every person has a story to tell, right? Right. Uh, 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 every person is significant to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. But we often dim our light because someone else's is seems brighter. And we forget that somebody that our light is bright for somebody else if we just let it shine. Right. That's a great point. And yeah. the thing about that, it, it's it seems like can you can you speak about what that moment was for you when you're at the conference and you see someone that's placed on a pedestal, literally, and saying, like, okay, this is someone of worth. This is Miss America, but she is expressing a a feeling of worthlessness. Like what what was that like for you seeing seeing that kind of play out? It was a sad moment. It was uh, it was sad. I I was like, whoa! You got a crown on your head. You got the the scarf around your body, saying Miss America. The flowers in your hand and everything, and you're on the top of the world. But yet you're saying you feel unworthy. I'm like, that's a problem. Here's mm-hmm. what really happened uh, after that. After seeing that, I, I it hit me or it occurred to me mm-hmm. when we put other people on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. They have no other choice but to look down on us. Mm-hmm. And that's when I I just really stopped and I paused and I've learned to just see people as people. And I see everybody as a VIP. I see everybody as a 10 and I see people as all winners. And, and I've just learned to embrace it. But seeing someone who seemed to have had it all and not realizing that they didn't, it really kind of reinforced to me how we all need validation, affirmation, acknowledgement, and acceptance. We all need it. We all are looking for somebody to say, way to go. We all are looking. And so I I felt an assignment in that moment. I -hmm. felt a calling. And ever since that moment, man, I've been like fired up about this worthology thing. And I've realized that it crosses all races, all sexes, all people struggle Mm -hmm. We get extra degrees. We go try to earn a lot of money. We try to big build big houses and cars. We do all kind of stuff to enhance our worth. So it, it gave me a sense of mission and a sense of purpose. That's that's awesome. I guess yeah. for for that, like, did you ever feel like you you were not worthy, so to speak? Like being a lawyer, having the background in education, like becoming a doctor, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you're asking hard questions here today. I remember when I was in college, Mm -hmm. uh, 1981, 82, 83, somewhere along those years, I felt so unworthy. There are many times that I felt unworthy, but it was in these moments. It was back then I felt unworthy. And uh, I was in college and I remember that I went a whole week without taking a bath. 
because I just didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like I had any value. I was just like down. And somebody told me later on, you, you must have been depressed. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. I just didn't feel worthy. You see, I was born in the 60s during a time of a lot of intense discrimination. And I always saw the other people as better than me. And I always had to fight to feel like I was a part. And the whole system around me, I felt like it was holding me back. I felt the whole system around me was trying to hold me down. And so I always felt unworthy, not enough, didn't feel like it all added up. So ultimately, December the 19th, 1983, as a result of that down feeling and feeling unworthy, I found myself incarcerated. I went to jail for 45 minutes because I was stealing. I was a young guy in college stealing. I stole. Okay. I was at Sears and Roebuck and I went to jail for 45 minutes out of all of that unworthiness because uh, you know I didn't feel like I had worth and what you had didn't have worth. And so I was just taking things. Right. And after I got out of there, that's when the transformation took place for me. My life was transformed December the 19th, 1983. And it has never been the same after I got an awakening that God loved me, mm -hmm. God values me, and that God would give me a second chance on life. And when I got that second chance on life, I wanted the new birth. I wanted the new life. And from that day forward, sir, I have never looked back. How, how, did, you, um, how did you get so lucky to only spend 45 minutes <laughs> because I had a big sister. I got nine sisters. And uh, when, I, when I went to jail, it was shoplifting. That was what the charge was then. I went right. to jail. They locked me up for a few minutes. I called my sister. She bonded me out or bailed me out or whatever, got me out. And, but it was so much. I mean, I, 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 it only took 45 minutes. I did, it wasn't even overnight. You right. know, and it, and I and I got out, but I had family, mm -hmm. and uh, I I I had family support, and family came and got me out. <laughs> That's what's up. It's it's good to yeah. to be able to count on family. And was it like the the experience you had? Was it during that forty five minutes, like kind of the realization of like, oh, like things are different now, versus like I'm not feeling like I'm worthy. I don't feel like any anything that I'm taking, it's like, oh, nobody's going to miss this. Like what, what was that? What was that like during the 45 minutes or right? Or like just did the, the transformation that you described in like having the value that you you got from God, was it during the time that you were placed in the cell or was it after the fact Did it, did it kind of take days, days to come about? It was all happening real fast. And it, mm -hmm. I would say it was kind of simultaneously, right? Mm -hmm. While I was in there, there was the, the shaking. And while I was in there, there was the awakening. Mm -hmm. And while I was coming out, there's the acknowledgement. And then as I began to acknowledge, then there came the acceptance. Okay. I had to accept the fact that I was ready to change. Right. And after I accepted, then I felt the approval of God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And then after feeling the approval of God, then I just begin to walk in the anointing and I just begin to walk in everything that the scripture began to say about me. And it was just an ongoing process, but doing there was a, a shakeup after I accepted it. And since then, that's why I, I see the Bible as such a big old gift. 
And I look at this whole faith thing as something that's so phenomenal that I think some of us overlook because we let it become like a a routine or a ritual. Right, right. right. That thing is real. (laughs) I guess the the reason I ask that, because it's um, every, like we said, everybody has a different experience. And and sometimes it's like, it takes a a moment or it takes um, an event to kind of get your attention. So it's like, I, I didn't know if you had a background in Christianity before or in having heard the Bible and just being like, sometimes when you're just low, you're low. You're not, you're not, you're not going to think, okay, I know I should take a shower. It's like, if you're not thinking about the benefits of what that's going to do, like you're just stuck in the funk. So it's like to go from I'm not worthy to, hey, like, I might not be worthy, but that, that's not going to help me in this situation. Like, I'm, I'm where I don't want to be. And something's got to be different. But some, pe- some people don't have that realization, even when the situation changes. Sometimes it's just like, I'm not worthy. And it's like, it's just this constant downward spiral where it's something bad happened. It reinforces the bad thought that you had which reinforces you to take another bad action, which reinforces another bad thought. And it's like, it's just this perpetual thing where it's like, there's no end in sight. So that that's why I asked the question to know, like, like help me kind of go through it as to what, what that meant, because sometimes they'll go over someone's head and they'll be like, Oh, it's just, he's special. He's a doctor. Of course, he's going to have this good thing happen to him. Of course, God's going to look out for him. He only looks out for like, the best people. This man's well-dressed. He looks great. It's like someone can make an excuse to keep their the way that they view themselves if it's less than or not good enough to measure up to you versus like understanding how it is that you can value yourself in your own eyes. Mm-hmm. I believe I understood you. As a person, when I was going through these, this transition, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was 19 or 20 years old, I believe. Hmm. And um, I I was just an everyday kid right out of a country town in Winsboro, Louisiana. And I go to Monroe, Louisiana to college. Um, And I was looking at everybody else and doing what everybody else was doing for the most part, working at a pizza house, uh, 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 preparing pizzas and going to college right across the street. Um, And I I I had. Had, had a lot of struggles, as I said earlier, with, with, with racial situations. So that mindset, my mindset was constantly wanting to be a part, wanting to fit in. And uh, that struggle was real and, 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 and not feeling like I measured up or had what everybody else had. I began to take negative actions. And when those actions brought me into that place, I began to realize, okay, I don't want this result. So I need to change the way I'm thinking and change the way I'm b- b- behaving and believing. I was in church. Right. I, I grew up in church. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the, the church hadn't totally gotten into me, so to speak. Yeah. You see, because I heard this quote, you might like this. Behavior is the echo of belief. I like that. Behavior is the echo of belief. My behavior was lining up with my belief. Right. And, my, and therefore, I was acting bad. But when my beliefs got better about me and how God valued me and sees me, I started behaving better. And that's the, it's been an ongoing process. And to this day, I still 
work to think thoughts that are positive, good, even though, you know, I might look well-dressed and, mm-hmm. and, and with a bow tie and I might have a doctor degree and all that, but all of those, some of that, some of my beliefs drove me to get some of the credentials that I got because I've probably felt like I needed to do all that to feel good about myself. But in reality, God makes us complete as we are. I like that because I think it it's, I like how you said what you said, because sometimes if we just view people on the outside, we kind of miss the whole reason why we, we do what we do because it's, there's nothing wrong with looking good, but right having the importance or having the that internal belief that you matter as a person and that's something as great as the creator like sees value in you even if you don't like you look around you're like where is this creator and a lot of times it, it seems that for people that would not otherwise believe when they have children that their eyes kind of open up to say like okay although as smart as i am as wise as i am like there has to be something bigger than me bigger than what i know that could produce this thing to have all its appendages some maybe don't have all their their fingers toes and all that but still just like seeing that little person that little human move around it's like well I guess I kind of helped in making that, but it's he or she is making me think and reflect on myself, how I, I view me. And and I, I think when you when you bring that out, I, I like the way in which you're describing it because it's your your experience, your life. And I, I'm kind of curious, like when your sister came to bail you out, what was that? conversation like did she kind of straighten you up or was she just like hey like i i understand as your big sis i don't remember her really saying a whole lot other than just coming to get me uh wasn't any uh i didn't get a lecture Mm -hmm. uh i didn't get uh scolded i just she came and got me and brought me back home because Mm -hmm. the shame of being in that situation was enough of a whipping for me Mm -hmm because I had grew up in church and in religion and so forth in my, and my heart, the, the hardest part about that thing, that situation was facing my parents. The embarrassment that I had caused my family was the hardest thing uh, to overcome. The sister, she, she received me, supported me and helped me. And, and that was all right, but it was having to look at my parents after that, which was the hard part. Right. But that's kind of cool that, like with your upbringing that you have, although what led you to that point of being in the cell, some of that might have been forgotten. But like once you're on the outside, like those things kind of come back to be like, well, okay, I know I wasn't supposed to be here. Like jail isn't something that's glorified. Like you're not, you're not getting any street cred when you're going at home. They're like, oh, like good job. It's like no, like you're going to get a talking to, but you already knowing that kind of speaks to how you were raised and the value you were given to place on certain things. So it is very cool seeing that. And also in the way that you tell stories and having a conversation with Jonathan before and him kind of sharing like how the the importance of storytelling, it really breathes life into like the situation, into like interactions that you have. It's 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 really nice. Awesome. 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 Yeah, it's 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 been quite a journey, but I'm 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 loving it and uh 
and I'm I'm glad to be here having this moment to talk with you about it. <laughs> awesome. So how how did you so after that that incident you're in college how does the, the rest of your time go into what you're looking to pursue and and um how you eventually like even start your family how does how does that all play out? Well, after that shake up in college, I recaptured myself and got focused and graduated. I finished graduate. I graduated in under college and I was a pre-law major. I went on to uh, 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 apply for law school and mm-hmm. ultimately got accepted in law school. Uh, uh, and uh, after going to law school, uh, uh, that was a journey in and of itself. Uh, got married and uh, had, had a fa- got a family. Mm-hmm. And uh, that worked out well uh, until the last year of law school. And then the marriage fell apart. Mm. So um, that was the, that was kind of like the net, the next big bump there in, in, in life. So uh, tell me what you want to know. Which part of that well, do you want to unpack? Right. So <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll go with law school first. Like, how did you how did you decide on law school or what what kind of drew you to that? Mm. Oh, man. What drew me to that? Oh, see, while I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was the, the struggle was real, right? Mm-hmm. I was still fighting to advance the efforts of people that look like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what uh, what no, year was this? 1978 to 1983. Mm-hmm. 78 to 83. Uh, uh, minorities of blacks were marginalized. I mean, we weren't put in the yearbook to the same ratio other students were. We were assigned to the cafeteria, janitorial work. We didn't have black professors at the college on at, at a level that we, that we thought they should. And so I was fighting for all of those causes as an undergraduate student, uh, being a part of student organizations that advanced the efforts of, of blacks. And so while I was 19 in college, I filed a lawsuit against the state of Louisiana and the university that I was a part of when I was a kid. Well, the lawsuit didn't go anywhere because what? Uh, We didn't have enough money and we didn't have a lawyer. And I'm like, okay, we had a lawyer, but we didn't have enough money to keep the lawyer on the case to really fight it. And as a result, while going to college and looking at all the things that I felt was not fair, not right for everyday people like me, Mm -hmm. I decided to uh, uh, go to law school. I said, I'll keep this journey going. I'll keep the fight going and I'll go to law school. So sure enough, uh, um, I, I decided to go to law school because I still wanted to advance the cause of, of, of marginalized people, the mm-hmm. cafeteria workers, the janitors. I wanted to help those people. I wanted, I wanted, I just didn't think the way they were being treated was right. And I just, I wanted to fight for it. And that's, 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 that's that's where I'm still, I st- I'm still there because that's what's really behind worthology. See, scripture says, to the degree you love the least of them, you love me. It's how you treat the least. It's how you treat those who you think are the least is the real measure of your character. I'll say this and then I'll pass the mic back to you. The way you treat someone you think you don't need is a reflection of your character. The way you treat people the way you treat people who you think you don't need mm-hmm. is a true reflection of of who you really are. I guess that that kind of goes across the board because it's it's um what's interesting about present day now in 2022 is like and I guess throughout 2020 and really 
seeing what's um what's been popularized either through media and news or different things like that maybe some politics but it's like i think that gets missed what you just said about the way you treat people versus because some people think okay if i was in a marginalized group there's a distinction of like you don't want to be marginalized or treated as less than because you want to just be able to have access to what other people have and make your own way as the best you can but i think some people take it to an almost um malevolent or devious sense of saying like an eye for an eye like what you did to me i'm going to do to you and there's a lot of overtones where when people i don't know if you'd say like they overcorrect but for me it, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting like hearing your story because me I, i was born in cameroon west central africa immigrated to the states at 7 so it's like i grew up in georgia north georgia now i live in south georgia but it's like having an outsider's perspective so to speak to where it's like you're foreign african american born like immigrated became naturalized but people a lot of people can just see you as black where right. black people will see you as black white people will see you as black in america but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of make assumptions and distinctions about like okay well in order to fit this mold you have to do this you have to do that and then when you don't do that they're just like well maybe you're not black and it's like wait a minute what are we what are we really talking about here is it like are you trying to categorize me in order to know how you can deal with me or not deal with me or are you really trying to understand the person with whom you're speaking with because it's like if we're not trying to understand each other then i don't think we're really doing anything maybe we're just like two ships passing in the wind they're just waving at each other and it's like, okay like there's there's no interaction no no discussion that needs to happen but having the opportunity to speak with you and actually see how you dealt with things going through school and having that experience it 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 gives me context of knowing like who you are versus just like oh like every black person's had this or every it's like no not every like not everyone decided to become a lawyer or an engineer but like seeing that your drive came from opposition that you met and then you decided to do something about it from either one submitting the lawsuit first and then saying okay the lawsuit didn't work but i'm going to take it a step further and i'm going to apply myself in this area despite what's going on i'm not trying to say that everybody should just do this but i think it's a good example of um options that can be made possible if you're willing to give them a try versus thinking there's just one way to do this or one way to do that it's like a lot of things can be true at the same time Wow, uh, uh, Mr. Truett, you you're picking up more than I'm putting down. <laughs> that 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 was powerful. That was powerful. You know, you were saying how people want to be understood, right? How people want mm-hmm. to be understood, right? Right. Well, right. here's something that I, that I've really come to discover. It's easier to label someone and leave them mm-hmm. than it is to love them and live with them. Mm-hmm. We like to label people because we want to leave them and push them aside. Right. But if you're going to love people, you have to understand them and embrace them. 
That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. Love helps you to embrace. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that's what I've come to. Lo- the scripture says, he that loveth fulfills the whole law. Mm-hmm. Love is the answer. And when we all see that no matter what the opposition is or what it appears to be like, mm-hmm. that person on the other side really are hungry for love. They want to be understood. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be recognized. Yeah. And when we can give them that and love them, then we can, you know, share our message of hope and inspiration to them and make this world a better place. I like that. I guess, how have you learned to love and still value yourself without trying to love someone and not devalue yourself? Wow. Wow. Love the question. Love the question. A few years ago, um, first off, you have to really, I have had to really get centered on who I am Mm. and who I am has nothing to do with anything outside of me, but it has everything to do with what the maker has put on the inside of me. And so as I have become centered in me, I realized that there are 7.8 billion people in the world. I have developed a global mindset and I don't see myself and my life only from a Western perspective. I see myself and my life from a worldwide perspective and I've learned to love me in spite of the trappings on the outside of me that want to marginalize and minimize me. Did that make sense? Yes, but can you you break it down a little bit more for me? Can you give me an example? I'm not defined by the evening news. Hmm. I'm not defined by um, politics. Hmm. Uh, I'm not defined by my skin color. Right. I'm a man. I'm a child of God. I have worth regardless of what our government says about me. And I have worth and value regardless of what some political leader might say about me. Mm -hmm. And I take my affirmation and my value from, from scripture, from God. I'm a person of faith. And so I let that play out as opposed to being identified by my degree, my money, my color, or any of those things. So I you guess, all, yeah, mm-hmm, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, so again, maybe to go a little bit deeper or, or sure. more, more basic, it's like, how, how does that work for you when you go about your day tomorrow morning, first thing Monday, first day of the week, you wake up, get ready to go out into the world? I go to the gym Mm -hmm. and um, I work out in an environment where um, people don't look like me. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. All right. But I go and I do me. Mm -hmm. I go for the purpose that I'm going. Ooh. And here, here's what I've learned. Yeah. And I'll say this carefully. I've come to realize that I have an assignment. Mm -hmm. And my assignment is to be what I want to see, give what I want to get, and live what I want to leave. You say, huh? If I want to erase racism, per se, then don't I be that way? 
Go and be a blessing to the people that I meet. Love the people that I meet. Encourage the people that I meet. I live my life to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. That's the way it works out for me every day. Now, is it easy? No. Do I have to fight off thoughts in my mind? Yes. But I go to be a blessing. For example, today, wife and I was leaving the grocery store, Sam's, okay? And so we're leaving the grocery store, and there's these three ladies there attempting to put this huge box in the back of this vehicle. And and the wife and I had walked past them, and I looked, and I said, dear, you mind if I help those ladies? She said, sure, go, go do it. Went, helped them, gave them a hand, and it was one of the most pleasant experiences. It was almost like that act was worth more than me just going to church. I don't, I'm not big on just going to church. Mm -hmm. I'm bigger on being the church. And not and not and not so much church. Be the Christ that we want to call people to embrace. Be that Christ. And I try to walk that out every day by building up people, encouraging people. I like that very much. And I think the the thing I, I like about it is, like you said, focus on being the thing you want to see in the world. And just the more you focus on that, I guess the less you become preoccupied with what other people are doing or what other people are not doing. And it's, it's um, I was speaking with my younger brother about um, when it comes to what would you say, either content creation or just even having a job or just finding your value, so to speak, in the world. It's about meeting a need that's needed versus just something that's convenient. Because it's like you could be doing a hundred different things. If they all meet your needs, great. And if they all are worth something, great. But if you're doing things and you're not getting what you need out of them or no one is valuing it in your eyes or no one's paying you for it, you might be doing too many of the wrong things. But if you align yourself with what it is that somebody should be doing this, it's like, okay, maybe you have to do that thing. And you're not just going to get up and do it, but maybe take some time to research and see, okay, who else has tried this before? Why have they succeeded? Why have they failed? Or what is it that they need help with? Like, is there something that I could do? Is there something I could learn? Is there, it's like, it pays to know where you fit in or where you can be of service at times, or just be yourself versus always trying to just make something up just to stand out. It's like you stand out naturally by being yourself. But if you're so preoccupied about what this person's thinking about you, what that person's thinking about you and everything else under the sun, it's like you're more trying to be this or be that. Like You're like, I don't know if I'd say a chameleon, like a confused chameleon, so to speak, because a chameleon will blend to its surroundings. It knows exactly like, okay, this is green. Let me turn green. This is gray. Let me turn gray. It's like it it knows how to blend into its environments. But if you're not clear on what you need to be, where you are, then it makes life more difficult for you. And it can make it like a, a whole exercise routine, almost, so to speak. Yeah, that's, 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 that's really true. That's really true. Clear purpose attracts assistance. Mm-hmm. So when we get clear, uh, it will attract people. Rick Warren said that 
yeah, 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 yeah. You, 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 you have to be authentically you. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more authentically you you are, the more consistently you can do that. So mm-hmm. you you shared a great point with your with your brother there, because yeah. uh, trying to be, it's it's an effort to be somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's he's effort. doing a good job. He's he's coming into his own. Oh, I'm 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 certain that he 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 is if he's connected to you. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess kind of going back to the thing about going to law school, um, when you do that, what what did you decide to focus on? Because I, I didn't know this about law, that there are so many disciplines, like I'm used to looking on on um, network television or seeing like special victims unit and CIS. And there's there's like so many different TV shows, but a lot of or I think those are police officers, not lawyers, but. A lot of times you'll see a show on TV that displays like, hey, this is law and this is the excitement of it. But you don't see the how many cases you've got to read and like because that's not entertaining television. But what is it that you decided in law? Like what what is that sector called in helping marginalized people? Intellectual property law. Mm. Okay, intellectual property. When I first heard the word intellectual property in 1991, my ears stood up. I'm like, intellectual property, property of the mind, not property of the hands. That's intellectual property, property of the mind, not property of the hand. You say, break that down. There are three categories of intellectual property, trademark, copyright, and patent, mm-hmm. trademark, copyright, and patent. We trademark our ideas. We, um, we copyright our writings mm-hmm. and we patent our inventions. Okay. Patent inventions. Trademark is our ideas, our, our marks in trade. Mm-hmm. Copyright is all the things that we write. Everyday people have a boatload of intellectual property. Mm-hmm. This podcast is intellectual property. The moment it's recorded, it's your IP. Mm-hmm. The moment it's transcribed, it's your intellectual property. That area of law has always fascinated me because many of the people in this country were, have been marginalized because their IP has been exploited. Mm. Motown, um, even before Motown, uh, a lot of the writers, they didn't have lawyers. They didn't understand how to protect their intellectual property. Now people are writing books. A lot of people are writing books, course creators, content creators, Mm. and they're not thinking of that intellectual property piece. That's the part that fascinated me because intellectual property, two thirds of the world's wealth is in intellectual property. And if you want to pass on legacy, you do it through intellectual property. That had not crossed my mind. <laughs> it's your IP, yeah. you know, uh, the digital IP. Right. Um, Every time I think about an IP, I, I think about it in that um, the digital sense where it's where you are virtually. And now you have the um, different softwares like NordVPN or things that the virtual private network that helps you kind of move around where you are to where you're not constantly followed around, so to speak, but the, the intellectual property, I, I never, I guess it's, it's one of those things like you hear acronyms and you're like, Oh, like this means that. And that means all of this. You said two thirds of the world's wealth comes from that. Happy. Yeah. That's where it is. And, and probably it's growing now because of the digital age. 
probably mm-hmm. more of it is growing. You know, a company like Apple, that's an IP company. Everything is IP. It's, right. it's you know, all, all the big companies. Google mm-hmm. is IP. Right. YouTube, IP. So I guess, how do you help people like your clients understand that as you've worked with them over the years? I teach them to self-publish. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're doing, publish it yourself. Mm-hmm. Because the publisher has rights. Right. The writer has rights. Right. The author has rights. Mm-hmm. When the publisher is the writer and the author, mm-hmm. that person controls all of the rights. Self-publish. It's one of the best control moves mm-hmm. that any creator can make. Course creator, podcast creator, YouTube creator, publish your own works and keep control. Mm-hmm. And as you build that platform and then somebody want to buy it, then you can sell them all the rights to what you have created. But if you get a publisher from the very beginning, a lot mm-hmm. of people say, I want to get a publisher. Well, the publisher is going to have publishing rights mm-hmm. and you, the author or the writer or the creator is going to have license rights. And a license is mm-hmm. permission to use. Right. And you give a license to the publisher. Mm-hmm. They have permission to use it. You own it, but they're controlling it. I guess with, with that, like as many layers as there there is to this, is it, do you see people back away from wanting to understand it? Because it's like, if you get a publisher, it's like, well, they're going, they're going to do the work. I'm just going to write it. I'm just going to record this, send it to them. They're the professionals. They've had years of experience. They've got that name that can help me get out there and just be like, ah, here I am. Many people do back away yeah, because they feel like, oh, that's more than I want to have. I just want to get somebody else to do it. And as right. a result, they give away so much. Mm. They give away so much, you know? And right. so what I do is I teach people people that work with me, my clients, I put them through a program and I teach them Mm self-publishing. And then I also offer them legal uh, forms that they can have to protect themselves going forward. Because I don't want to see someone else getting ripped off. It goes back to when I was fighting in college. Mm -hmm. Uh, My whole goal was to protect, help our students you know, and um, a matter of fact, I went to law school to be a more effective minister. I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted to use my law degree to help help people. Right. Which so I which, teach. I teach which came first? Was it the ministry or the law? Did you find Mini- both in college or? Yeah. Yeah. Both found in college. Uh, my, my ministry calling I accepted in college mm-hmm. and then I proceeded on to 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 law school after that. That's a nice uh-huh. pairing, seeing that you, you're not only a savvy lawyer, but you're a minister that speaks to people and really helps them see that self-worth in themselves. Yeah, that that, that really fires me up and uh, helping people to see the power of, uh, of, of, of their story, mm-hmm. the power of your journey. Mm-hmm. All of us are superstars when we let our light shine. Right. I mean, like you mentioned, um, you having these courses and training people to do this. How can people get in touch with you to um, utilize these resources or just communicate with you? Sure. Uh, My website is drfredjones.com, drfredjones.com. 
they can go there and get started, find everything that they need to know about me. But if I got a, I got a gift for everybody that wants to uh, 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 share their story, if you listen to me and you want to share your story, mm-hmm. go to drfredjones.com forward slash webinar. Mm-hmm. drfredjones.com forward slash webinar. And I got a whole share your story, a training on self-publishing so that you mm-hmm. can share your story, build a brand and grow a business. Man, that's dope. That's very cool. It's yeah. it's good to see um, that you're able to provide that service for people and kind of steer them in the, the proper direction rather than being misled. And then say, if you get into the Hollywood business, the music industry and things like that, and then you don't want to turn into another horror story to just be like, got taken advantage of. And it's like rinse and repeat, like this happened, that happened, that happened. It's like, they tell you the first or second part by the end of it, you know, how the story plays out. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. You know, um, knowledge is a game changer, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know, I like to tell people ain't never been there. Mm -hmm. Can't tell going there, how to get there. (laughs) (laughs) I love these sayings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know what you don't know, and what you don't know is costing you. Mm. And it's all boils down to knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So knowledge is the key, man. It's, it's exciting. And I love what you're doing here and serving everyday people. And I love the everyday people uh, aspect of what you're doing because that's like, you know what they say? The richest mm. place on earth is the graveyard, right? So many stories go into the grave, Miles Monroe, Mm -hmm. but uh, it doesn't have to be that way. We all can tell our story, create legacy and write our worth. Now, that is what I do Mm -hmm. to to address that thing. Write your worth. Life is a blank check. Right. How big is your belief will determine how big your bank account is. Awesome. And on that note, I'd like to ask you one last question. Just as we started, are you still who you said you were? Oh, absolutely. Uh, everything I do comes back to worth, the worthology. It's write your worth, uh, 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 publish your worth, uh, speak your worth, brand your worth, build your worth, and let nothing that anybody else do outside of you dim your light or cause you to shrink your shine. Awesome. And if you'll do that, you can, you can, you can uh, be fulfilled. Well said, Dr. Jones. Thank you so much for the time today. And uh, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you and blessings to you and your audience. Thank you.